BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Con, two big topics today for the uh, podcast. Uh, number one, should the armorer accused of manslaughter in the Rust movie shooting be able to have a gun for personal protection? And also, was there some malpractice committed by lawyers in connection with the Alec Baldwin Malpractice? Case? By lawyers? Yeah, Never. unheard of. Uh, the second topic we're going to get into is the Atlanta Donald Trump grand jury. The four-person uh, has become famous for talking. Aren't grand jury proceedings supposed to be secret? And finally, of course, we're going to play America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict, where I give Connor the facts of a case, and he guesses the outcome. Today, Connor, it's the case of the illegal jockstrap. <laughs> the case of the illegal... You thought all jockstraps were great. legal, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, I did. Honestly, I had no idea... That, uh, that there were, it was a whole category. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, topic one. Should the armorer accused of manslaughter in the rush shooting be able to have a gun for personal protection? And uh, for those who may have forgotten the name of a movie that no one even knew existed before it probably never will exist, <laughs> the rush shooting, of course, is Alec Baldwin accidentally shooting the director um, and uh, of the movie uh, on the set through a camera. Yep. And funny you should mention that, not that there's anything funny about manslaughter. No, tragic. But funny you should mention that because... Actually, we're, we're told this week they're going to finish the movie and it's going to be in a theater near you, okay? Oh, they had to work out some details. Uh, the, Alec Baldwin had to agree. I won't communicate with any of the witnesses or potential witnesses in the... Is this going to be a little awkward on the set, you know, finishing up quiet on the set, really quiet between <laughs> you, Alec, and Bert over there because he's going to be saying oh that you're God. a killer. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, isn't it kind of... Be sort of seem crass. It's great. Like it's money grim. grubbing. It's oh, grisly. everybody's got to see the Rust movie, even yeah. though it was going to be a total third-rate movie that would yeah. go straight to oh to, yeah to no, airplanes. No one even knew about it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, is it strictly part of it? Is I thought it, the the strategy by Alec Baldwin to say yes, we're going to finish the movie was to discourage an indictment because. Um, the idea was if there's an indictment, likely the movie would be shut down, everybody right. would be put out of work. Mm. But no, his strategy is even after the indictment, he comes out and says, yes, we're going to finish this sucker. I'm sure they're going to have a really, really moving in memoriam slide at the beginning. 
Yeah. I, Maybe five. I bet you're absolutely right. In memoriam, there. Alec Baldwin's <laughs> career, he's locked up in, in prison now. <laughs> so so here's the the latest stuff uh, that, that folks may have followed in terms of the, the armorer who is the co-defendant along with Alec Baldwin. Um, the trigger man, yes. Yeah. He, Alec Baldwin was not responsible for the recent excitement because he was not involved really in the hearing that happened in New Mexico a couple of days. The hearing was just to advise the defendants of the nature of the charges filed against them, manslaughter up to 18 months in jail. Criminal defendants are allowed to waive attendance at some hearings, including this one. And there's really no reason for them to just sit there to hear the judge tell them, okay, you know, you're looking 18 months behind bars. They already knew that. Yeah, and their lawyer can communicate anything that happens in the hearing, and this is much easier. For them. Right. Plus, from Alec Baldwin's standpoint, the publicity of him oh, yeah. appearing in court, it's not something he would really want. No. So he waived it. But here was the excitement. The armorer's attorney, the lady who is the co-defendant with Alec Baldwin, she, uh, the lawyer asked if the armorer may have a gun at home because the cops months ago released her personal information, some identifying information by mistake. So there have been a whole bunch of death threats oh against the armorer. Yeah. And so the, during the hearing the other day, the lawyer for the armorer goes through all this and says, you know, she, she, she really needs to have a gun just in her home. The DA stands up and says, hey, judge, the sloppy handling of guns is why we're here. Yeah. The death of a person resulted from this person's sloppy handling of guns. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the hearing, though, the judge said, yeah, it's OK. I'm going to I'm going to let her have the gun. Yeah. Because I think from the j- judge's uh, position, uh, he knows that he is in a catch-22. If the, right. if an attacker comes in oh, yeah. and kills the armorer and she was unarmed, okay, yeah. the judge was to blame. On the other hand, if the armorer goes nuts with this gun, yeah. the you know the, the semi-automatic pistol she's got yeah. in her bedroom yeah. and decides to go down to Kmart, right. well, the judge is going to be in trouble there, too. But you know. Yeah, but at the same time, there you've got a, the, the, the person who's already on trial for bad acting with guns uh, a bad action with a gun, that person that committed another act uh, of negligence with a gun. There's a layer of insulation in a way between the judge and the act where they get the judge gets to say, look, I did my best. I tried to help them have a weapon for personal protection. So I think this is a, a CYA move by the judge, yeah. not necessarily motivated that way. But if the judge is thinking that way and not thinking, well, is this lady actually going to suffer a death threat or a, de- a threat on her life? That's a legitimate way to think about it. I hope yeah. the judge is evaluating it that way. But if the judge is playing a CYA game, uh, this is the safe way to go. Let her have the gun. Counterintuitively, ordinarily, letting somebody have the gun is not the cover your butt. So, yeah. Now, a minute ago, you used the phrase bad acting with a gun. Were you talking about Alec Baldwin's performance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant bad actions with a gun. Oh, okay. We're going to scrub this from the pod, just restart <laughs> it, start it over. The listeners are never going to Oh, no, this. no. I think we're just going to keep it real here. <sighs> we're going to be keeping it real. Yeah. All right, so she gets the gun. Uh, the other angle I wanted she to chat. She immediately shoots Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I want to chat about in terms of this Baldwin hearing is there was some legal malpractice yeah. by the prosecutor. Yeah, this one got a lot of attention. So the prosecution charged Alec Baldwin with two manslaughter statutes in New Mexico. One says, if you commit involuntary manslaughter, you kill somebody you didn't intend it, it was a horrible accident, it was gross negligence, it was recklessness, you go to prison for 18 months. That's statute number one. A good if, law. You, if you discharge the gun and somebody I'm a fan of that law dies. Second statute in New Mexico says, hey, if you commit involuntary manslaughter, you kill somebody without intent, 
uh, recklessness, and you brandish a weapon. Right. You don't just shoot it, but also you're waving it around you're in a threatening, menacing manner. You brandish. That's a five-year statute. And so we were all told a couple of months ago there are two ways Alec Baldwin could lose, either a year and a half or five years. Kind of a big deal difference. Okay. Oh, yeah. Huge deal difference. And this is, as you probably can guess, legislatures passed these laws, one, to satisfy uh, their their voters who want them to be tough on crime. Second, they satisfy them in a theoretical, you know, abstract sense to motivate people to act differently or more safely with guns, right? Mm-hmm. They say, oh, well, you might uh, have a gun on you, and if it is discharged accidentally, in all these scenarios, it's accidental. Uh, that, but, you know, in that scenario, it's, it's 18 months in prison. But we want to be able to escalate that, kick that up, and dissuade people from brandishing weapons in dangerous ways because right. that can lead to more shootings, right? If you're willing to pull your gun out and wave it around, but no, if I do this, there people are going to hear about it later. And if this gun were to go off, I'd be in jail for longer and they'd punish me harder for this sort of thing. Now, is anybody perusing the criminal statutes to say, well, I'm going to brandish my gun later? Oh, wait, let me check here. Uh, 14, yeah, uh, you know, some criminal New lawyers criminal are. code. Yeah, exactly. Before I go brandish my gun, I'm going to call my criminal lawyer that I have on retainer because I, I do get in these situations a lot and ask him, hey, am I allowed to brandish? I think it's going to be worse off if I brandish my weapon before. No, nobody's paying attention to this. Nobody's modifying their behavior as a result of this. It's just a way to be, to satisfy people's sense of justice. This person acted more wrongly than that person, and therefore we're going to punish them more harshly, which is maybe a, a value of the justice system. Yep. Maybe that's an outcome we want. Anyway, legal tangent philosophy concept aside, I'm sorry I derailed your statement. N- no, it was, it was a good one, but now I'm going to give you the malpractice punchline. Please hit me. Um, the five-year statute? Right. It wasn't passed until after Alec Baldwin killed that woman. Oh, no. Womp, womp. And the defense noticed that, being real sharpies, you know? <laughs> well, he's got good lawyers. They're very expensive. Uh-huh. And the problem is, if a statute is not on the books when you commit a crime, mm-hmm. but it is on later... You can't be charged with yeah. it because that would make the statute retroactive. Yeah. It would be unfair to force people to play by rules that didn't exist, even if the new rule is really, really good mm-hmm. and valid and helpful. And, but the prosecution apparently overlooked that. Right. Uh, in the Constitution, there's a reference to ex post facto laws, Latin. and that just means retroactive right. laws. And the Constitution says, that's not good. That's ex post facto, after the fact, you pass a law. So somebody does something, it's not illegal. Either the legislature notices this, sees them specifically, and says, I'm going to pass a law about that. Yeah. And then somebody tries to charge them with it. Or it's just a coincidence, as probably was the case in in this situation. Nobody was passing this brandishing law in connection with this accidental on a movie set thing. Nobody was, brandishing is generally about threatening somebody, right? So it, it seems odd that they would have chosen to brandish uh, in this scenario in any way. Like, if the statute defines brandish, it likely says something like show in a way that, you know, is intended to intimidate the target or something like that. That's not what Alec was doing anyway. No one is thinking, no one is saying that he was acting wild on the set and, you know, trying to intimidate somebody or, uh, you know, act like macho or anything like that. He's shooting a scene and maybe he wasn't safe with the gun, but it wasn't brandishing anything. So it's bizarre that they would have uh, done this anyway. But here we will come back to my legal philosophy tangent about why we pass these laws and and how we're motivated to do them. In a sense, we're always worried about ex ex post facto laws. But if you have a total coincidence where somebody 
does something that society has, says is bad, but they just haven't gotten around to criminalizing yet. And then after they do it, but before they're charged with it, the, the statute, the legislature passes the statute and criminalizes it. Why shouldn't they be charged with an ex post facto law? Because society is now caught up and recognized, oh, we all agreed that's bad. So we passed a law about it. Boom. Now we're going to prosecute you for it. That is a legitimate argument to be made, I think, but it's just so much stronger and better and safer law to say no ex post facto laws as a concept in the Constitution. And the notion of fairness comes yeah. into play. Is it, it really does, appropriate? It does, the other side of it. And there's also this notion of, well, you know, you a philosopher might say it's better to let multiple guilty men free than to hold one innocent. So let's not prosecute people for ex post facto laws just in case it would be unfair in some circumstances to do so. So is this a case, and I want to get your take on this, the Royal Oaks hot take on this, <laughs> is this a case of prosecutors gone wild, prosecutorial misconduct, overcharging, overcriminalizing, piling up charges to try to get a plea bargain, the normal sort of thing that we always hear stereotypes about in the criminal legal system, or is this just inadvertence and neglect? And I will give you my answer to that, as well as uh, some information about how retroactivity is a real problem in many aspects of the law after our pause. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. That's probably Apple Podcasts, but it could be any other podcast platform where you get an RSS feed. So any podcast platform you like, Stitcher, Spotify, Spotify. podcast addict anything and while you're there why don't you click one of those little arrows that says share and send this off to your your grandpappy or your your ex-girlfriend or especially since rss you know as applied to our show stands for really swell show really swell royals swell show yeah no i wouldn't go that oh thank you it's royal and connor's show. anyway we need to go to a commercial we'll be right back Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. And I'm Connor Rupp. So we're talking about the Alec Baldwin case, uh, the fact that the prosecution in New Mexico has egg on its face because they tried to charge him with a law that was passed after he killed the lady. And Roadrunner egg. You can't it's New apply a retroactive law against somebody. And you were asking about whether well, it was inadvertent. So, yeah, I think it was just total incompetence not to realize. I mean, right. the defense attorneys had to point out to the judge and the prosecution, hey, they're trying to charge him with a statute that did not exist, and that violates the rule. So, but, you know, it's really interesting to me because this retroactivity issue uh, infects so many legal issues, not just the Alec Baldwin case. The legislature, for example, whenever it passes a law, it has the right 
to say, oh, by the way, this law applies retroactively. Now, people who are the victims of that, if they're charged with, uh, w- with something, can argue that it was unfair. But the legislature in general has a right to do that. And if it's silent, if the statute that is passed is silent as to whether it's retroactive, and somebody wants to argue that it should be applied retroactively, then the judge looks at the language of the statute, mm-hmm. the legislative history, what did the assembly people and the senators and the state legislature think about it. So it theoretically can be retroactive. It seems wrong to make a, a, a statute retroactive because it just doesn't seem fair that somebody should operate under a certain set of rules and then be told later on, okay, well, there's a new law that makes what you did in the in the past bad, and therefore uh, it, we're going to uh, apply it to people. I think it uh, it is based on which notion of fairness we subscribe to, because I think you're absolutely right. Most people do come to that conclusion, and there's a reason that that ex post facto concept is in the Constitution, and there's a reason that that's generally how our country works. But throughout all of human history, other situations have, you know, societies have had different values, uh, even if different societies in the world have different values about ex post facto laws and retroactivity of laws. And it's not a given that uh, that we would think that is the, you know, manifestation of fairness. Because think about uh, the fairness to the people who say, well, I think criminals should be punished for, for breaking uh, the codes of society, the morals of society, breaking the rules of how we interact with one another. Some of those are codified in law. Some of those are not. Some of those have not yet been discovered and thought about and figured out. You know, somebody's come up with a pyramid scheme that robs everybody of all their money, mm-hmm. but it hasn't yet been criminalized. They get away with it for a while, and there's some folks out there who are like, well, if it wasn't exactly a law in the books, it's the Airbud defense, right? There ain't mm-hmm. no law that says a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> right. Well, we all know a dog can't play basketball, Steve. Except okay? on TV. Yeah, exactly. So, so get that dog off the basketball court, and I'm going to bring an ex post facto law that applies retroactively that prosecutes you for trying to have a dog play basketball with kids, right? So if it vindicates our notions of fairness to have somebody be punished for their bad actions, even if it wasn't yet codified in law— then we you know, might actually be vindicating the notion of fairness by having an ex post facto law. Is it more dangerous, though, uh, to, uh, to allow the tyranny of a tyrant or a legitimate government that has tyrannical tendencies uh, to um, apply ex post facto laws to us poor little individual citizens who generally have very little power against the big bad government who's passing new laws all day? That's the real concern, and that's, I think, a, the way to think about it is it, it's a better, it's a safer move to, uh, to ban them. Well, let me give you an example of why I think it's, it's a dangerous idea to apply retroactivity, and it has to do with a big issue here in California, mm. having to do with the distinction between employees and independent Ooh, contractors. Yeah. It's a huge distinction, because huge. if you are an imp- independent contractor, somebody who is not under the thumb or control of the person who hired you to do a job. The big bad boss. Yeah, if you get, had, get to decide when you do the work, where, how, uh, you don't have to wear a uniform, you don't have to comply with specific procedures, you're an independent contractor. And the catch is, you know, you come and go, work when you want, for, for the people you want, but the catch is you don't get uh, overtime, you don't right. get employee benefits, right. uh, you, you, you don't get the minimum wage. You get breaks. Uh, the, yeah. yeah. Breaks and so on, right. So here's the problem. In California, the California Supreme Court several years ago, uh, in a case called Dynamex, came up with the idea that mm, independent contract, no, they're probably not independent contractors. Virtually everybody is an employee. And the example they gave was, if you work in the same field as the guy who hired you, 
that makes you an employee automatically. And think pretty of, broad. Think of insurance agents. Insurance agents almost universally were considered independent contractors. Right. They don't get the juicy benefits, but they have the freedom to come yeah, and go whatever got, they want. Uh, storefront on Main Street, and people walk in and they buy uh, insurance from you. They buy 21st century insurance from you, or they buy Mercury insurance from you, and uh, then they go on their way. And maybe you offer Mercury car insurance and 21st century homeowners, and you're not really an employee of either. You just sell their products in the right. same way that if I own a, a shop and sell Snickers, I'm not an employee of Snickers. Right. So the Supreme Court of California comes along and says, you know what? That, that insurance agent and, and people in similar situations, they are employees because they're in the same general business right. as the insurance company. A kind of a wacky idea. It is. But it gets wackier. They didn't make it clear in their decision whether it was retroactive or not. So Oof. the Ninth Circuit comes along and has a big litigation. Uh, I think it was called the Vasquez case. And, and they ask the California Supreme Court, hey, you're the experts on California law. We're just the Ninth Circuit part of the federal system. We get to ask you, California Supreme Court, uh, uh, what is the meaning of your decision? What does this California law really mean? Is it retroactive or not? Yeah. And guess what? The California Supreme Court came back and said, yeah, it's retroactive. And as a result, employers all over the state are getting sued left and right like crazy because years ago, for years, before the Dynamex decision, yeah. they treated people like independent contractors right. because they really were. They were classified that way. There were lots of opinions yeah. that lined up that said you are classified correctly as an independent contractor or as an employee based on the old test. The old test being you know, control, uh, the amount of control, the degree of control that the boss has over you, whether he makes you show up at 9 a.m., whether you've got to wear a uniform like you said, all that stuff. And now this new system that just says, well, we want to we zoom out to a higher level and ask, why does the boss have control, right? If I hire somebody to paint my house, uh, I might tell them I want it to be blue because that's what I want the, out the output to be. But I don't tell them how many hours to work, what kind of paint to use probably. Uh, you know, They handle all the expertise and just quote me different prices for different uh, methods and, and, and paints and all that. And that's because... I don't have that expertise. The contractor has that expertise. And there's so you're, you have a separation, a, a difference between you know, our, our, set, our skill sets, right? But if the boss runs a paint company and hires someone to do painting, boss probably has that expertise. There probably doesn't need to be this distance, this separation, the amount of control. So they totally zoomed out from the control angle and just asked about sort of the industry you're in and the expertise you have. And therefore, that gets to the why of this, why you would be an independent contractor or an employee. It's a totally different way of looking at it. And the idea of, applying that retroactively is completely bonkers. I think that's wild. I mean, I, I generally am not, you know, uh, in, in favor of, uh, of protecting biz, big business from, from their scary lawsuits for labor law. You know, it's so sad that Walmart has to put up with lawsuits after they abuse and exploit their employees. But I, like, I don't care about Walmart. But in this situation, I look at this and go, yeah, applying this retroactively seems pretty whack. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we are going to talk about the uh, grand jury down in Atlanta looking at uh, Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump and others. Stick with BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, 
and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, remember, uh, there used to be a video you could buy, and they advertised it on cable. Girls Gone Wild. Yes. I, I recall the, vi- the, yeah. the ads very, when I was an 11-year-old. Very, very confused. Very successful franchise. I'll bet they, yeah, I yeah. bet they made more money than God. So the update now is Grand Jurors Gone Wild. Oh, no. Because there's a lady in Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Emily Kors. She was the foreperson of the special grand jury appointed uh, to uh, look into uh, Giuliani and Trump and, and the rest of the uh, the crew in terms of uh, the effort to get those 12,000 votes in Georgia and having a, a special slate of electors appointed for Trump that would defy the fact that Biden already won and he had the legitimate slate of electors. So the, the special grand jury was appointed not to indict somebody. That's normally what a grand jury does. They vote yes or no to indict people and send them to trial. Instead, this was a special grand jury whose job was to investigate, sort of assist the DA in deciding whether to go to a regular grand jury and ask them to vote to indict Trump or Giuliano or whatever. So the special grand jury, and I, I described the difference because Everybody hears grand jury and they think super secret. Nobody knows what goes on in that room. The defense lawyers aren't entitled to go in there. Mm -hmm. And the jurors are not allowed to reveal their deliberations. Which is pretty wild. I mean, think about it. You you are hired. You're a criminal defendant and you hire a lawyer and you say, defend me in court. Mm -hmm. And the the criminal defendant's lawyer has to go to you and say, okay, so behind closed doors, this judge and this panel of grand jurors and the prosecutor are going to be all alone. And they're going to decide whether this case goes forward. I'm not allowed to go in there. I'm not allowed to make arguments. You're not allowed to find out what happens. We just, the black box and on the outside, outside of it, it spits out your guy's indicted or he isn't. Right. And it's kind of easy to indict. The joke is, you know, you're going to indict a ham sandwich. And the reason is the standard for indictment is probable cause, not guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. And probable cause just means a reasonable person might suspect a crime was committed. Yeah. Very, very, very low bar to pass. Hence, you, a prosecutor can get uh, a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. Of course, the second half of that phrase is a prosecutor can get a, 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 a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich, but not a pig because cops never get indicted. That's Ooh, the stereotype, that's, right? That's, that's There's harsh. the other half of it. That's where the phrase comes from. But, but, but the ham sandwich part is really instructive in teaching us, you know, it is very easy to get past this process. But in Georgia, they don't even get to there. Yet. They haven't even gotten to there yet. We're already, we're still at back at the special grand jury. Nobody yep. else has a special grand jury. I've never heard of a special grand jury just to do an yeah, investigation. Every state has its own special rules. So the interesting thing here is that the judge, I think, made a big mistake. The judge said, who's supervising the special grand jury, said to the grand jury members after they were done, they handed in their report, and he's disclosed some chunks of it. Uh, What he said to them was, now, you can't disclose to anybody what was uh, said in the deliberations you guys had to decide uh, on your final conclusion and report, but you may talk about other things like what Giuliani said and, and right. all of your impressions and we're talking of the witnesses. Rudy Giuliani, Lindsey Graham, Mark Meadows. We're talking big hitter, like heavy hitters mm-hmm. in Republican politics right. who had massive – and several of whom – uh, at this this grand juror who went on the media tour uh, and spoke to the media about it, and I'm a 
we'll get to it, but I'm all in favor. Heck yeah. But she uh, she said, for example, she revealed things like some of them were immunized. Some of them were offered immunity from criminal prosecution in exchange for testimony, either just this testimony at the special grand jury or more likely also for further future testimony in other proceedings. So that is uh, uh, these are bombshell uh, pieces of news. And the judge said they can talk about it. And, and to be fair, it, it, you are asking people to lock their their mouths and throw away the key for something for right. the rest of their lives. Yeah, they can never talk about what happened behind those doors. I mean, that is a huge ask. And you can argue that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when jurors blab, mm-hmm. people realize, oh, they made a mistake. Sometimes a guy is convicted by a regular jury at, yeah. at, a, at a trial, and the interviews of the jurors reveal that they lied, they violated the rules, they were super biased, they were racist or whatever. Yeah. That's a basis for a new trial to toss it out. And that's good. And if you don't let them talk, then maybe you can't discover that. Yeah. But what happened here is that this lady came across to some as such a whack job on MSNBC and CNN and so on. Uh, some are saying that Trump's, uh, this grand jury foreman's TV performance is proof Trump has gotten religion. Because the only explanation for her behavior is that Trump's prayers were answered. Divine intervention oh, on she behalf of she so God. bad. And so people, it, the, the effort to put him behind bars is tainted somewhat hmm. by the fact this this lady was just giggling through her interviews. Was yeah. so lighthearted. She seemed to be taking it almost flippantly. She was mm-hmm. very excited to be on TV, clearly. Was enjoying the whole process. But to be fair, you put any normal, reasonable, rational human in front of a TV camera and human history has shown us that they turn into a crazy person and they say a bunch <laughs> of wild things and they they act bizarre and the only thing that keeps you know normal like the, the people who are usually on TV on track is that most of them are sociopaths right people who are on TV politicians uh, you know actors there's something wrong in their brains that makes them want to pursue that spotlight they've pursued it their entire life and when they get it they know exactly how they're going to act in front of it until they inevitably spiral out of control from drugs alcohol or fame goes to their head or whatever but you put a normal human being who is plucked out of obscurity who was previously uh, you know uh, driving for Uber or or being a school teacher or whatever else and you put them on TV in front of millions of people and you say what are you what are you feeling today how how was that whole process seeing yeah. seeing Mark Meadows and Lindsey Graham testify uh, and 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 Rudy Giuliani well how did that how did that make you feel and they're going to fall apart they're going to giggle well, their minds out me, i would let me give you a little fact and you tell me if she is a normal human being okay. as four person of the special grand jury one of her jobs was to swear in the witnesses so she swore in one witness while she held a ninja turtle popsicle uh. she had just received at an ice cream party thrown by the DA's office. Now, a bribe by means of popsicle sounds un-American to what me. What the heck yeah, is no, going on in this special verdict? Like, yeah, what it's is just this? A, it's Why is there a, a popsicle party? Why is the DA throwing a party <laughs> for the special jury ver- grand jury verdicts? I mean, grand so jury Trump, jurors? What is happening? He's going to try to what? you know dismiss any indictment because of this, but this is he was gonna, anyway. But this yeah. is going to be in the rearview mirror pretty soon. I yeah, mean. it will fade, of course, especially since will. the the DA will able to let some time go and never mention this lady right. again and say, "Oh, I thank them for their service," but you know we we investigated for a year even before they were appointed and we got it straight here and so now here are our recommendations yes we do say a regular grand jury not run by the popsicle lady of course we are going to have the popsicle lady on the podcast next week (laughs) and she's going to tell us just how she apparently is between jobs as a legal trans uh, transcriptionist so i think she has time to be absolutely on the podcast but i mean big broad big broad strokes 
I love it. I think grand jurors should be able to go out and talk about their experiences. Now, yeah, I can see barring them from talking about their deliberations in the jury room, but I am uh, in favor of this concept that, that sunlight is the best disinfectant because I think that the indictment process is such an incredibly easy rubber stamp most of the time and that criminal defendants get such short shrift that they should have the opportunity to peer into as much of that process as they can because I'm no fan of Donald Trump. You know this. We all, all the listeners mm-hmm. of the pod... Uh, know this, but I absolutely think that criminal defendants generally are the ones who ought to be protected and have more information in this scenario and not the state. And the more secret this is, the less info they get. So are you ready for Guess the Verdict, Connor? I'm always ready for Okay, so I'm going to give Connor the facts of a case. He's going to guess the outcome. Uh, We keep track of his batting average, so he's desperately interested in making sure that that average stays up as high as Shohei Otani's That's a high bar. Yeah. All right. So uh, here's the deal. We're going to go to Las Vegas. This is the case of the illegal jockstrap. Allegedly illegal. I had forgotten the tease. This is great. Actually, it's it's not Vegas. It's Reno. The Reno man is uh, is in the casino. He uses a hidden microcomputer to help him count cards Mm. at blackjack, which, as you know, as a big gambler, Connor, you know how important it is to count cards at blackjack, Oh, sure. So the computer- One, two, three. The computer was hidden. Well, ones and O's. Sure. Yeah. I believe you. The computer was hidden in the guy's shoe. And when he would tap his toes a certain number of times, depending on what cards were revealed in the blackjack game, the computer would transmit a message to a vibrating device placed inside his jockstrap, mm. telling him what to do. Mm. A casino learned about this scheme. Not sure how they yeah, learned. Yeah, first off, how? Yeah. But they learned, and maybe he was just bragging to all his buddies. I Could don't be. know. So they banned him from playing saying he violated the rule against, quote, artificial devices. That was, yeah. That's the rule. So naturally, he sues the casino. Yeah. Why not sue a bunch of mobsters? You know, yeah. what can go wrong, yeah. right, to your jack, jockstrap? Uh, what do you think, Connor, who, uh, who won in this titanic legal battle between the creative gambler and the casino? That's good stuff. Um, as usual... Uh, the individual uh, sucker defendant who's dragged into the legal system, I think, is going to get wrecked, and the massive corporations are going to uh, make off with the big uh, comical uh, burlap sack with a dollar bill sign on it. So the casinos win. I mean, casinos are going to get uh, are, are going to have the, contr- uh, the ability to control the way that people play their games, whether they have outside assistance. They're going to control the stakes. They're going to control the deck. They're going to control all of the uh, set all the rules and the circumstances and and the odds. And it, when you try to turn a game of luck into a game of skill, uh, inevitably the casinos are going to be given the edge because everybody knows that's the deal. You're going to a casino to get ripped off. You're not going <laughs> to. The judge is not going to be like, well, I mean, Americans have a God-given right to get a, you know, to you know, get a close to even edge uh, Some against people the house there and blackjack. To get ripped off. Some people are there to to have fun. Some yeah. people are there to win big because they yeah. feel they have the skill. Absolutely, but uh, the judge is not going to vindicate that hope. People have those <laughs> dreams. They they're all they're all going to. I'm going to win the lotto and I'm going to do it because I got my lucky numbers. But guess what? Uh, I'm a judge. And I'm going to say uh, the uh, truth, justice, in the American way is giving the casinos money. Well, the casino won. So you're absolutely right. A computer qualifies as an artificial device. What a shock. Shock. The court agreed that uh, an Did artificial device. Did the vibrating device, is not- device, it could have been anywhere on his entire body that is under his clothes. Did it need to be 
in the dock strap. Could have been a conscious decision on the part of the gambler. This seems like a bit of a, a personal ex- gratification issue, <laughs> a which is a separate legal issue. You shouldn't be bonus. vibrating yourself in public, sir. You talked about artificial intelligence, and I. this is just all over the news, this mm-hmm. the chatbot business. Mm-hmm. And apparently now, if you're a middle school kid, yeah. you can go to Alexa and say, Alexa, <laughs> um, I got an essay on the Enlightenment due tomorrow, uh-huh. and oh my gosh, I'm really busy this evening. Oh my gosh, Alexa's talking back to us. Alexa, stop. Oh, she stopped. Thank you. And so uh, the computer can now draft up an yeah. essay oh, on anything. Yeah. And it's not like the uh, the teacher can plug the, the essay into the computer and search and find out if somebody oh, it's stole it from the encyclopedia. Yeah, it's problem. brand new. Yeah, it's brand new. And every time you ask it to regenerate that, that uh, essay, and it's it'll really be good. Yeah, it's, it's good and it's different. You can tell it to do it at seventh grade level or 11th grade level. Yeah, it's incredible. And people have a hard time when faced with an essay written by the computer and an essay written by a human being. People have a hard time picking out which is which. Yeah, especially if uh, the seventh grader has the wherewithal all, most don't, to, I don't know, take one look at it after the computer <laughs> generates it and just make sure that it looks like an essay human wrote with grammatically, somewhat grammatically correct sentences and nothing out of out of place, and boom, done. Or maybe add a, a couple of conspicuous errors. Yeah, you could just every page insert the sentence, guy, I really think the following is so super true. Yeah. Oh, and every- then the teacher would say, that was not done by a computer. That that is, Timmy did that. That is what Timmy sounds like. That's yeah. what seventh graders sound like. You're right. All right. We solved so many problems today. Yeah. And we'll see you all next week on Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.